When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 92 of the Cost for Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. It's been a while since last episode, just about two months, and not a whole lot has happened. I was sort of waiting for important news to happen to trigger an episode, but I wanted to wait for a Kachuk contract, and that obviously hasn't happened yet, which I'll get into in a sec. And for just the second time, I'm going to be going solo on today's episode, recapping a quiet offseason, but I'll be sure to have a full season preview with a guest before the season begins. And on another note, I like keeping my listeners in the loop, and it's probable that this season will unfortunately be the last for the Cost for Pointcast. That might not be final, and perhaps it gets revived at some point, but I am finding it a bit challenging to keep up in a meaningful way, especially after Colin left the show. Anyway, though, I'll still be posting at least once a month for the season, so stay tuned for that, and of course, I greatly appreciate all the support I've gotten over the years. And it's not a goodbye just yet, but I thought I should let everyone know. But anyway, the first talking point that everyone mentions every day is the Brady Kachuk saga. He's unsigned right now and isn't at camp, which is a bit worrisome considering we're considering we're almost in October. And, you know, there's been so much news about whether he wants to take a short-term deal, whether he wants to take a long-term deal, and we don't really know what the truth is right now. I think no matter what, though, it is a bit strange to see some anti-player takes or, I guess, pro-owner takes in some of these things. You know, I just find that with negotiations a lot of times, it's a bit odd to take the billionaire side versus the millionaire side. I mean, obviously, both sides are making way more money than any of you or I. So, you know, both sides are going to be very comfortable no matter what deal they make. However, I think Brady is totally within his right if he wants to ask for a ton of money and he wants these bonuses. I think that is his right if he should do so. So we don't know what is being talked about behind closed doors, but I do get a bit uncomfortable seeing not a ton of people, but a small percentage of people coming at Brady saying that, you know, he should be taking whatever he can get sort of thing. Um, and whatever he can get, meaning a lower number than what he's asking for. So we don't know what is correct right now out there in the media. He might not want to lock in. Maybe there are other issues at play that we don't know. So I'm not going to pretend to get into his brain or pretend to know what is being said behind closed doors in these meetings. But I will say that Darren Dreger was saying today that he thinks they might be sorting out a shorter-term deal, but... Again, that that information could be old news by the time you're hearing this. And Elliot Friedman was also saying that bonuses and a no-move clause or... I forget if it it was either no-move clause or no-trade clause are things that could be holding up the deal. You know, just like it was with 
Mark Stone and Eric Carlson. So this is something that has been an issue in the past with the Senators specifically and, and Eugene Melnick, you know, not wanting to give out those, those big signing bonuses. And, you know, when you look at a contract like Austin Matthews, for example, when he just says so much of his contracting bonuses, like I get why owners wouldn't want to give that out. So that's kind of the extreme side, but it is a bit, I don't know, I guess uncomfortable that Ottawa is this averse to, to giving out these bonuses and I don't know. I mean, everyone just really wants Brady signed for the max term, wants him signed for eight years. It's just, it would be quite disappointing if they couldn't get him signed long term. And it wouldn't be the end of the world if they could only get him for three. But I think you really want to see him commit that term. And it, it sounds like they're close on the money. So, you know, if, if, they're, if they're pretty much there with the money, I don't see why they wouldn't be able to get a deal done if they could just budge a bit on the bonuses or budge a bit on on the no-move clause, something like that. Because the thing is, they were close to a deal, supposedly, at least, like they weren't that far off with Stone a couple of years ago. It was more the structure of the deal with the bonuses and the no-move clause, things like that. So I think this is the time where you kind of make the exception for keeping that franchise player around, especially because it seems like they want to give him the captaincy. Um, you know, perhaps they give it to Shabbat, but majority of fans want to see the captain, captain letter C on Kachuk's jersey. So it's it's certainly contentious right now. I think no matter what, though, you can't put any blame on Brady for this unless he's being absolutely unreasonable. So I, again, like maybe he's asking for ten, eleven million dollars, something like that, and and that would be insane. So. If that's the case, then fine. You know, you can blame him for that. But at the same time, I mean, it's not like he owes Ottawa anything. He doesn't. He's not obliged to stay for eight years. So, um, but but I do think he likes it here, and you know, he's got a lot of his friends playing with him. So, I think Ottawa's done everything they can in terms of the personnel. Um, you know, surrounding him with players that he likes playing with that would make him want to stay in Ottawa. So hopefully, that is at least something he's thought about. And yeah, I would just love to see a done a deal done within the next week or so because I think otherwise it just becomes too much of a distraction. Um, you know, Ottawa obviously played their first preseason game on Sunday and Kachuk's still not here. So that's going to have to change soon. And another interesting thing I keep hearing is that some people are willing to pay so much for Kachuk um, you know, like $9 million even per season just to keep him happy long term. And it's funny because I'd be happy to keep him for that long, um, even if it was that much money. I mean, it certainly would be an overpay, but I would just be happy that they would get to keep him. And yeah, I mean, that's just an incredibly high price for someone who has averaged 52 points a season. And, you know, I get that he brings more than that, but he still needs to take that next step in order to truly be worth eight, nine million dollars because you look at similarly young players that cost that much. We're talking about Miko Rantanen, Kirill Kaprizov, Kale McCarr, Miro Haskinen, Sebastian Aho, and it's okay to admit that Kachuk isn't in that stratosphere yet. And he could get close in terms of overall impact. So you know that's why I'd go hard for an eight-year deal because I think that is possible and I think just everything else he brings um on and off the ice kind of 
increases his his overall value. And coming back to the sort of argument where you're looking at players versus owners, how many times do we have to go through this with other players before people realize to not criticize the player? I mean, we've seen it with Carlson and Stone in the past, um, just so many other players with negotiations where, you know, they're not negotiating, I don't know, fairly is the right word, but in, in good faith, I guess. And, you know, later on it comes out that, you know, didn't get the the offer that was reported or, or whatever. And it's just, it's just a bit strange to assume that Ottawa is doing everything they can to, to keep him. And I'm, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying I know everything that's going on, but I just wouldn't take the anti-player approach here, considering what we know from previous negotiations. Um, and yeah, like I, I've seen numerous people comment that we should look to trade Brady, which I think is just insane. I mean, this is a guy that you need to keep keep long-term, get him locked up. And if you can't lock him up now or at some point in the future, you know, if you if you sign him for three years and then, um, you know, give him a six, seven, eight-year extension later on, that's fine. But if you can't lock him up either now or at some point in the future, this rebuild is fraudulent. It is. I mean, that's just the fact. Like, they need to keep him around because if they can't, the fan base is going to have, <laughs> I mean, I would I would have said a few years ago there was no trust within the fan base, and slowly they've built that up over the past three years from, you know, casual fans and diehard fans like myself. They've built up a bit of trust, a bit of hope. But if you can't keep Kachuk long-term, then, you know, what's the point? What are, what are we doing here, right? So, you know, having said that, They'll get a deal done before the season, and it'll be fine for now, but I'm less confident that it'll be an eight-year deal than it was before. I just, I'm not super confident in that in that long-term deal right now, so it still doesn't make me feel confident about him staying long-term or the rebuild, like being that confident in the rebuild as a whole from a money perspective, but that can change, and you know, if they get like a, a two, three-year deal that sort of just puts things on hold for a bit, I guess, but it's, it's certainly not going to make people feel all that, um, not excited, I guess, but they're certainly not going to be all in. And if he was signed for eight years, I think people would be all in. So it, it's quite a big negotiation and, you know, it's not an easy job for Dorian to do this. And, um, some of that is out of, out of his control with Melnick, but yeah, they got to get something done here in the next week, I'd say. But besides the Kachuk news, or lack of news, I should say, the Senators' most recent move was trading Logan Brown and a conditional fourth to St. Louis for left-winger Zach Sanford. And this was quite a unexpected move. Uh, you know, Brown was re-signed to a one-year contract, um, I guess a week and a half ago or so. And based on their center depth, it looked like he was going to get a bit of a shot in camp. Um, didn't even get into a preseason game. He just played in some some uh, scrimmages. And, and you know, Zachford, <laughs> Zachford, Zach Sanford is, you know, not a super um, super useful top six player, but like he's a good middle six winger. 
and he adds depth to the Senators lineup. So I don't hate the trade at all, and um, I'll get into Sanford in a second. But in terms of Brown, I think I don't think he really ever got a fair shot on Ottawa. You know, he played 30 games here, which really isn't that much in terms of you know getting a, a full sample size of what he can do. Um, he scored nine nine points in those games, but you know better than that, he had a positive impact in terms of shots and goals. Um, you know, when he was on the ice, he was making an impact. But I think he also missed several wide open wide open nets. And I have to wonder if he had, you know, 12, 13 points instead of nine, you know, if he just had a, a few more goals here and there. I wonder what that would have done to his perception because, you know, just, just a few more points here and there makes his numbers look a bit better. So just psychologically... I wonder if people would have um, been a bit more high on him if he had just kind of buried more of his chances in that 1920 season when he played um, 23 games that year. So, yeah, Brown is just, it's too bad. He was obviously their first-round pick in 2016. It was Pierre Dorian's first draft pick as general manager of the Senators. And, you know, he just couldn't stay healthy. That, that was... That kind of sums up his career as a center. He could not stay healthy. He had one season, I guess, after being drafted. Actually, no. After being drafted, there wasn't a single season where he stayed healthy the entire year. Um, You know, he had two seasons before being drafted in the OHL where he pretty much played a full year. But after that, I mean, there was at least one injury every year. And and most of the times, it it was pretty significant. And last year, it was... The most frustrating because, um, you know, every time they wanted to call him up, he was injured. So, you know, when when Derek Stepan went down, Brown was also hurt at the same time. So he only got into that one game this season. And, you know, some of that is luck, but some of that is also, you know, conditioning and just, I don't know. Like, so, so I don't know how much of that you can put on Brown, but, you know, sometimes there's, there's a pattern with these things and, um, you know, I, I I have to believe some of that is chronic. Whether that is his fault or not, it's just it's just the reality. This is happening, you know, five seasons in a row. Um, and an- another issue with him was his either perceived or or real uh, lack of effort on on many of his shifts. And you know, I think some of that is because he's just a very tall, lanky player, so it's gonna look like he's not skating as hard, you know, compared to like a 5'10 player who's just has really quick strides. It's going to look like he's not working as hard. So I get that. But I think there was also definitely an element of him not giving everything he, he can, especially when you compare to guys like Josh Norris and Shane Pinto, who are kind of the opposite of that, who are, um, you know, guys who rose through, through the system quite quickly and, you know, had coaches praise their efforts and things like that. When you compare that to Brown, Brown was pretty much the opposite kind of player that Dorian and, and DJ Smith and Troy Mann are are building around. So he wasn't really their, their prototype, which is interesting because, as I mentioned, Brown was Dorian's first draft pick. So it seemed like they switched philosophies over the past few seasons in terms of what they want from their players, especially their centers. So, you know... 
could he still be good? I think Brown, you know, could still be an NHL player, but probably not the 60-plus point player we had hoped for. You know, maybe in St. Louis he can be, like, a third-line center power play specialist who maybe gets 40, 45 points or something. So, you know, he also gets to go to St. Louis, his hometown. So, you know, best of luck to him. It's just too bad that it couldn't work out in Ottawa. And especially when, you know, you have a high first-round pick like that. He was drafted 11th overall. They traded up one pick to select him as well. So they clearly really liked Brown when they drafted him. And, um, yeah, I, I just, you know, I, I sort of hope that he stays in the NHL, but I hope he isn't so good that Ottawa regrets trading him because, um, man, that would really suck if they you know, deal another good young center who who turns out to be a top six player because they kind of need another good top six center, which I'll get into a bit later. But um, one other thing I wanted to mention with Brown is, you know, I saw several people mention that, you know, saying like good riddance and, and similar things, which I think is a bit harsh considering Brown, he's just a guy trying to make the NHL. It's not like we paid a ton to get him and he failed. I mean, Prospects fail all the time, so it's just a weird reaction to say good riddance or, or act as if you're pissed off at him. I mean, yeah, you can be disappointed, like I'm disappointed in him, but I don't know. Good, good riddance was a weird thing. It made it seem like it was personal or something. So, But, you know, best of luck to Brown in St. Louis, and yeah. I... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Now, in, in terms of Sanford, like I was saying, I think he's a decent return. Someone they can put in the middle six. Um, so it's nice to have that certainty, and I would say his, like his, his upside is limited, and is a UFA next summer. But he's got an interesting profile. I, you know, the more I look into him, the the more I kind of liked him in that spot. He's 83rd in goals per 60 over the past two seasons in the entire NHL. So you know that's ahead of Brady Kachuk, ahead of Connor Brown. Um, you know, he was on pace for 23 goals in 2019-20 potentially maybe he can be the next Connor Brown. You know, this is a guy who for his career, he shot, I believe 14, 14.1%. Let me just double check that. He's shot. Yeah, exactly 14.1% in his career. So that's quite high. I mean, he's not a volume shooter, but perhaps you put him on the second line sometimes and, you know, put him with Shane Pinto or something, you know, maybe he has a 25-goal season in him or something like that. I wouldn't count on that, but I'm pretty happy with getting a guy like that for Brown, considering it seemed like they would maybe get a second-round pick tops, maybe more like a third-round pick for him just a few months ago. And I will give Dorian credit for waiting to trade Brown here because, you know, he waited for St. Louis to be in a bad cap situation where they needed to shed a couple million dollars off the off the books to get under the salary cap. So, you know, maybe maybe this deal doesn't happen a few months ago because St. Louis was looking at other options. So, 
good on him for actually getting some NHL value in return for Brown. Um, and another thing about Sanford is that he also has solid defensive results. So um, Jay Fresh Hockey has him as 80, in the 84th percentile defensively over the past three seasons. So, um, you know, he's, he's near the top of the league in terms of his defensive impact in, uh, in terms of limiting chances against. And that is definitely something they need. They really need to be better defensively, both from the forwards and defense on Ottawa. So that'll be a welcomed addition. And he certainly fits their prototype of a tough guy to play against. And, you know, he works hard, kind of has that limited upside, but he's a solid contributor, solid, like, just top nine guy. So, you know, he's he's actually also won a cup as well, obviously, with St. Louis in 2019. So they've they've added you know, several cup winners over the over the past few years. Uh, Matt Murray being the most obvious, and I guess last season, if you want to count Braden Coburn and Cedric Paquette. But, um, yeah, I think it was not not a bad move at all. I, I, I still wish they would have been able to give Brown more of a chance earlier on. And, hell, I mean, even, even this season, it would have been nice to see what he can do. But then again, if he's playing horribly after 15 games, they probably have to put him on waivers. So, you know, getting something for him is is a win in my books. Um, and, yeah, now now besides the Logan Brown trade, Dorian's offseason has been incredibly quiet. And I've got to say, it's a bit disappointing. Actually, not a bit. It, it, it is disappointing. So I, I'm still stoked for the season to begin, but... They said they wanted to add a top six center and a top four D, and they haven't really done either, unless you really want to stretch the definition with Nick Holden and Michael Delzato, but they're not guys you want to give big minutes to. And, you know, there are names that they were linked to that I wasn't crazy about since they seemed like stop gaps, but I would have been fine with them too. You know, names like Adam Henrique, Ryan Strom, Sean Monaghan, Nazem Kadri, and I kind of can't believe none of those came to fruition because, you know, Bruce Garriock is very dialed in and he was mentioning those specific names. Um, I'm sure there were a few others I'm, I'm forgetting, but yeah, I was quite shocked that none of those deals happened, especially because, you know, someone like Henrique, he had, he has a very high cap hit, I, I believe like 5.875. And I mean, yeah, they would have been able to get him for, for quite cheap. So, you know, perhaps his his uh, his salary was, was too too rich for them, but yeah, I, I just think it was a bit surprising that they didn't add at least someone, especially down the middle, because um, they're they're quite thin there, especially after trading Logan Brown. So you know they didn't take advantage of the expansion draft, and they couldn't get someone to help for the future, whether that was on D or on center or even on the wing. I think they could have addressed any of those needs. Um. And, and who knows what they would have had to move. So it's, again, it's hard to give Dorian too much heat for that, but it's certainly fair to be disappointed as a fan because they pretty much added nothing. I mean, you traded Evgeny Dadanov for Nick Holden, which, you know, different positions, but so it's, it's a bit hard to compare, but you could maybe say that's a wash if if you're expecting Holden to be you know, second, third pairing kind of defenseman. And who knows what Dadanov's going to be. Maybe he bounces back. So, <laughs> I mean, that that could be a loss if he ends up doing quite well in Vegas. But, 
besides that, I mean, they signed Michael Delzato, who seems like they're dead set on on him being on the second pairing, which, oof, I don't know. And then I guess you acquired Zach Sanford. So, you know, you added one forward um, who doesn't quite have the same upside as as Dadnov. Um, obviously plays on the left side as well, and Dadnov plays on the right. So, I don't know. I, I just don't see the goal-scoring ability from the forwards. Certainly, you know, players like Batherson and Norris will hopefully improve, and, um, you know, Pinto being in the in the lineup full time will will be a big boost as well. But I I think they really need to add one more guy who can who can score for them. And again, you know, someone like Thomas Hurdle comes um, comes to mind immediately. And yeah, they probably would have had to pay a lot for him. So perhaps something like that was was unrealistic. But even just a nice stopgap would have been good if. If they truly want to make the playoffs, and you know Pierre Dorian is saying that the rebuild is over, so well if the rebuild is over, I think they should have been been adding at least one or two more players to this team because I think that's relying too much on the progression of the of the young players and prospects that they have, which is a lot of pressure. So you know it's fun to look at future rosters with with all these prospects, but you know the reality is that not all of them will make it. And the difference between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Edmonton Oilers is not only drafting stars like Malkin and Crosby and McDavid, Dreisaitl, but it's supplementing them with good trades and free agent signings. So you can't just rely on a good farm system. You need those reinforcements. Um, Again, especially because Dorian said the rebuild is over. You need to be adding those you know, second-line players, the second-pairing defensemen, you're not going to be trading for first-line players, probably. That's that's quite hard to do. But you still need to be adding depth and players on the on the fringes of the roster, and, and they just didn't do that. So it, it's, a, it's a bit difficult to see how they're going to progress too much, you know, outside of their young prospects that are hopefully going to improve but that's that's not a guarantee so I think they could easily finish near the bottom of the standings again in which case they'd still be rebuilding but there's certainly at least hope and they still need a a ton of a ton of things to go right in order for them to make the playoffs but um don't get me wrong it'll be an exciting season and when when I do the season preview next week or, or the week after there's plenty to be excited about plenty to watch this season. It's it's going to be fun. But at some point, they need to add more in terms of goal scoring, probably a solid top four defenseman, just because I doubt that all of Jacob Bernard Docker, Jake Sanderson, and Lassie Thompson work out, right? I mean, I like Artem Zub, but, you know, I don't know what, it, what his true ceiling is. I don't know if he's like a, a true first pairing defenseman that that'll be with Shabbat. I think he's solid. I really, really like him, but you know, they're going to need some other guys to, to supplement them. So, you know, who knows what, what Dorian's plan is here and um, who knows what they can add in terms of salary, which is not something we want to think about a bit depressing, but yeah, I'd love to see more action over the next year and hopefully they can, they can be more, um, you know, 
just just going for it, right? Now, the Senators played their first preseason game on Sunday, and we're getting a look at what the team could look like on opening night. And it's so much different than previous seasons, though, because there's just way less competition at every position. So at center, you have uh, Josh Norris, Shane Pinto, Chris Tierney, and Colin White. And that's about it. And then at left wing, you got Brady Kachuk eventually, Tim Stutzla, Zach Sanford, Alex Formanton, the PTO, Tyler Ennis, who may or may not get signed, and Nick Paul. And then on right wing, there's Drake Batherson, um, Connor Brown, Austin Watson, and Igor Sokolov. You know, I guess you can include, can include Ridley Gregg in there as well, who scored a nice goal, but also got suspended uh, in, in the past game. So there is certainly a hole on the third line right wing spot, but I saw, I, I can't remember, I think it was an Ian, Ian Mendez article today um, saying that Nick Paul could switch over to the right side because there's that, that hole. Um, Colin White is sticking at center, at least according to DJ Smith. So, you know, they could switch Paul to the right side. They could sign Tyler Ennis. Um, but yeah, like there's not much competition. I mean, Shane Pinto isn't fighting anymore because there's only four centers. In, again, unless Ridley Gregg somehow makes the team, which I'd be shocked at. It just doesn't seem necessary, even though he, he looks quite good. And um, it'd be very fun if he could play a few games. And, and maybe he will get, get into some games just to you know, give him a taste of the NHL action, but, you know, th- there's just not much competition outside of a couple spots. I mean, guys like Logan Brown, Rudolph Spalsers, Philip Schlopik, Vitaly Abramov, they've all left, so all these guys that were, you know, fringe NHLers fighting for a spot, you know, things are pretty set now. And on D is probably the most interesting. You have, you know, eight guys, I guess, fighting for, fighting for these spots, but with Eric Branstrom being waiver ineligible, he's surely going to get sent down. I mean, I don't care how good he plays. I'd be floored if he stays up. Like, I think the only reason he'll stay up is if there's an injury because you have Thomas Shabbat, Michael Delzato, Victor Mete, and Nick Holden on the left, although Holden can play both sides. And then you have Nikita Zaitsev, Artem Zub, and Josh Brown on the right. So that's 7D right there. And I just don't see how Branstrom gets in there because I mean the only way out is yeah if if they wave someone like Brown or Mete or someone gets hurt um you know because Delzato and Holden, Zub, Zaitsev, Shabbat those are those are your five locks so um yeah there's there's not a whole lot of competition I mean you know I guess you could maybe even argue there's there's a tiny bit of competition in net just because Philip Gustafson has looked quite good in, in preseason and in camp. Um, but again, he's not going to make it. But with an injury, you know, he could grab a, a hold of things pretty quickly if he has a few solid games in the NHL after getting called up. Anton Forsberg is not really... I mean, he, he's certainly going to be their backup this season, but I don't think they're super worried about losing him. If, if Gustafson is playing lights out, then, you know, I'm sure he'll get into to a, a decent amount of games this season. But yeah, overall, there's not a ton of, of battles in camp, which is, I mean, I, I kind of miss that. I kind of miss, you know, having 17, 18 forwards fight for those 12 or 13 spots. Um, and yeah, it, it just seems like they could use a couple more guys, like I was alluding to earlier, you know, maybe one or two more 
good veterans, not when I say veterans, I'm not saying, you know, Derek Stepan and Cedric Bacat. I'm talking about veterans that could actually add to their lineup and play in the top six, play in the top nine competently, but it just doesn't seem like they have that. So, and, and I will say a lot of their recent prospects are quite young. So a guy like Ridley Gregg is, you know, going to be pushing for a spot more next season or the se- season after that. Um, you know, someone like Tyler Boucher obviously isn't in camp and, um, you know, some of their other 2020, 2021 prospects, they'll get into camp eventually and, and they'll make things more interesting, interesting, but for, for this season, not the, not the most interesting camp, I would say, but, um, yeah, we have a couple more weeks here to figure out who's going to make the team and there might be one or two surprises, you know, seems like. Formington was a bit of a lock, but you know, after Zach Sanford got acquired, maybe he doesn't. So, but other than that, not expecting too many, too many shocks from camp. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas city, go Kevin or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, lastly here, looking outside of Ottawa for the division, they're definitely in a difficult one back in the Atlantic. And I thought it'd be good to go over who they'll be competing against because it's been a year and a half since they were in a division with some of these teams. So... I'm I'm just going to kind of go from top to bottom here, who I think, um, you know, who will finish where. At the top, I think he's still going to go with Tampa Bay. They're loaded, you know, they're still favorites to win the division, even after they've lost Yanni Gore, Tyler Johnson, you know, Barclay Goodrow, Blake Coleman. They're still loaded. I mean, you know, they're just going to be re- replacing those guys with um, Alex Barre-Boulay, Ross Colton, uh, Matthew Joseph. They're still so deep, so... Um, you know, Ottawa's certainly not going to be competing with them. Then you have Toronto. You know, they've failed in the past and failed spectacularly in the playoffs for years now, but they're still a dangerous team, and I would say they're still contenders. Um, I would say, you know, they still have even a shot at winning the division. I think that would be difficult, but they still have a chance. Um, you know, a team like Florida probably isn't going to be as good as last year, but they also added Sam Reinhardt, and I think they could still be very dangerous, um, especially if, you know, they gave Spencer Knight some more starts. Maybe Sergei Borovsky gets a bit of a, a bounce-back season. They're still a good team, so, you know, we can't underestimate them too much. Boston certainly got worse with losing Tuka Rask and David Krejci, but, they, I mean, they made some interesting moves with... Taylor Hall, Marcus, or not Marcus, uh, Nick Foligno, Linus Olmark. So I think they'll still be a wild card team. Um, you know, they'll be close at least. I, you know, I'm not going to completely count them out. They're, they still have a ton of talent. And then Montreal, I just can't see how they make it in after losing Weber, Deneau, Tatar, Kotkaniemi. Um, obviously, they added some guys like Dvorak and, um, you know, they'll have Caulfield for the full season. But they're also in a better division, and I mean, even last regular season, they didn't look that great. They were not even that much better than Ottawa, so 
I I just can't see how they they finish higher than like fifth. Um, and then luckily, you know, at the bottom of the division, you have Detroit and Buffalo. They're still terrible, especially Buffalo. Um, you know, Eichel is going to be either injured and or traded. So yeah, both both teams are just not going to be good. And so I, I'd be quite surprised if Ottawa finishes below both of them. I think that'll be a train wreck of a season if they do finish below both of them. So, you know, I'd say sixth place seems likely for Ottawa. And they could they could pass Montreal and maybe Florida or Boston kind of if everything goes right. But it's still a very tough division to play in. And I think I think the team will notice that kind of right away is that Okay, it's not the Canadian division anymore where, you know, kind of the Leafs were really like the only kind of top tier team there, there, even though even though they didn't even win the division in the playoffs. But yeah, at the end of the day, this season is not going to be easy, but there's still plenty to be excited about with lots of watchable players. Just going to finish off the show with a couple listener questions. Um, These were sent into at CP Pointcast on Twitter. So first one comes in from Alex. He has a few questions saying, realistic season expectations. Uh, should, in your eyes, Gus be in Belleville to start the season? And where should Greg play considering tonight's performance? So, um, you know, kind of talked about realistic expectations right now. And so I'll just reiter- reiterate that and say, I think a realistic spot is sixth. And I think anything after that is gravy. I mean, I think Fifth would be obviously close to a playoff spot. That would be great. I think fourth would, that wouldn't guarantee them a spot because, you know, the Metro could have five playoff teams. But if they got fourth, I mean, that would be incredible. So I would say expectations sixth. Anything below that, I think, would be pretty disappointing. And, you know, Gus and Greg, I I talked about them as well. And so, yeah, Gus should definitely be in Belleville to start the season just because. I mean, mainly because of waivers. So you have Anton Forsberg. There's no reason to waive him right now, um, you know, unless he's hurt or something. So, you know, let Gus get some confidence in in Belleville um, and then call him up whenever there's an injury. And Greg, I mean, yeah, he's looked good, but he could also use some some seasoning and there's no need to rush him at all. So, you know, see what he can do next season. And, you know, you can maybe start him in Belleville next year, but he'll certainly be playing in auto at least a bit in 22-23, so that'll be fun. And other question comes from Neil. He says, thoughts on Ottawa's center depth looking like a Boston slash St. Louis model. So I would think it's more of a St. Louis model because, you know, St. Louis, and I actually wrote an article about this about a year ago saying that they're trying to imitate St. Louis where they just have sort of a lot of depth, but not necessarily a a ton of star players, and I think that's kind of what they're going for, where there's just a lot of good, responsible players all around, kind of tough to play against. But, yeah, I wouldn't say Boston is totally that, just because Patrice Bergeron is, you know, one of the best centers centers in the league and, you know, has been for a very long time. So, And they also have Brad Marchand and um, David Pasternak. So, I, you know, that's probably the... Maybe not the best line in the league now, but at least at one point it was. So, I, I, you know, I wouldn't quite say they're imitating that. But in terms of, like, you're asking about center depth specifically, um, yeah, maybe more like St. Louis where there's just sort of not one star. Although, again, 
you know, you could say that O'Reilly is. So if if Josh Norris ends up being someone like Ryan O'Reilly, which maybe not, maybe isn't, I wouldn't say that's guaranteed to happen, but I think there's a good chance that that, that could actually happen. So um, if that does, then yeah, they're going to be looking an awful lot like St. Louis. Thanks for those questions as always. And last note for me, I would definitely recommend watch all the preseason games you can. You know, there's going to be guys like Ridley Gregg, who scored that amazing goal a couple nights ago. Um, you know, there's going to be some prospects or players like you haven't really seen very much, and they're going to be playing in these games. So definitely highly recommend watching the preseason games if you can. Um, and yeah, we have hockey on October 14th. It's coming up, and I can't wait for this season. So That'll do it for today. I know it's not always ideal going solo for an episode, but I hope you still enjoyed the talk and be sure to keep an eye out for the next episode, which will be a season preview one. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cosmo Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at silver 7 Sends, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at CP Pointcast on Twitter, where you'll get any updates about the show. Thanks for listening. Adios.